0: In the weeks between episodes, we may discuss stories that we found interesting, but didn't have enough information to warrant a full discussion. This is one of those weeks. This is Vice and Villainy, reporting on the criminal and mysterious, we are your source for the stories that shape your world. And now, this week's story. A friend in Baldur's Gate told me about this one. It still gives me goosebumps. Just east of the Sword Coast, in the western heartlands, lies an area called the Serpent Hills. At one time they teemed with life. But due to the Shadowvar melting the high ice, the climate of Faerun was changed, leaving western Faerun in unprecedented droughts. This turned the Serpent Hills into a dry, lifeless area, best suited for lizardfolk who eventually came to populate the area. Under the arid, red clay hills, a system of tunnels could be found that included tombs dating back to the Nethril reign. One of these tombs housed the bodies of multiple counselors and their families. It remained sealed for thousands of years for those that made their livings as Tomb Raiders, avoided this particular crypt at all costs. It wasn't just the rumor of magical guardians that kept miscreants at bay, but also the belief that one had to navigate a section of the abyss before being able to go deeper. So it came as quite a surprise to the Sheriff of Loudwater when she heard that a looting attempt had been made. Being the closest town to the Crypt of the Sixth, it was unofficially in her jurisdiction— being an elf, years appeared to pass differently than to humans or halflings. This was the first rumor of a looting there for over 150 years. So even to Cívis Valfur, it raised eyebrows. As a result, she petitioned Baldur's Gate to send three investigators to assist, given that their small town didn't have the kind of specialized investigators required. Intrigued, Baldur's Gate agreed, and three specialists were sent to Loudwater immediately. After doing legwork in the town, they pieced together a sketchy story based on things friends of friends had told them. They didn't believe it to be credible, but since they were in the area, they decided to check it out for themselves. Accompanied by one of Sivis’s deputies, the group made their way south, covering the 120-mile trip in just over three days. Unfortunately for this group, cartographers over the years disagreed on where the entrance to the crypt lay. Using the maps available to them in Baldur's Gate and Loudwater, they used the noted locations to approximate an area. Once on site, they broke into two groups to try to cover as much ground as possible, agreeing to meet up in the evening at a predetermined location. Each pair searched their quadrants systematically, attempting to be as methodical as possible. But as the day wore on, frustration grew as neither group was able to locate the entrance. Hour upon hour, both the summer sun beating down on them and the heat reflecting from the rocky ground below, Everyone was convinced these reports were just a wild, dire goose chase. With civil twilight heading toward night, each group began the trek back to camp, prepared to suggest that they head back to Loudwater in the morning. With the sun setting and moon rising, an eerie orange-red hue enveloped the land. It was especially disconcerting because the rocks in the area took on the color of blood. As the two specialists from Baldur's Gate retraced their path back, when crossing through an area seemingly carved out by water, both began to experience unnatural feelings. The hair on their necks and arms stood up, their breathing quickened, and feelings of being watched crept over them. Their horses experiencing the same feelings became more difficult to control. Specialists specialist in the rear, terrified of something coming up behind them, took one brief look over his shoulder. As he did, he gasped, inhaling deeply. Beyond terrified and fearing the worst, they urged their mounts into a gallop and fled the area. Back at camp, they retold their story to the other pair, making no attempt to hide their fear. And while the pair that didn't experience the fear did want to return to the area in the morning, they agreed to abandon the search, believing the area to be the entrance but too dangerous to investigate alone. Marking their maps while preparing food, they set watch rotations and began to try to fall asleep. In the morning, they agreed to a new return plan. The specialist paired with the deputy would return to Loudwater, while the other two would return directly to Baldur's Gate to try to reduce the amount of travel. Their trips were uneventful and conversation sparse. Once in Baldur's Gate, the pair gave their reports, stressing the overwhelming evil and malice they felt. Their commanding officer, intrigued, thanked them for their work and returned them to regular duties. Believing this to be an opportunity to further his career, he began making preparations to send additional investigators out, himself included. After several days off, the two specialists were set to return to work. There were plenty of cases in Baldur's Gate to get through. Those piles weren't going to solve themselves but at roll call, everyone was accounted for except one of the specialists. The commanding officer sent his partner to get him, thinking he thought he had another day off. Arriving at his house, the specialist banged loudly on his partner's door, yelling at him to, wake your lazy ass up, mate. Nothing. Another round of banging. Nothing. More yelling. Again, nothing. Confused, he tried the door handle and, to his surprise, found it opened. Entering the home, he was immediately concerned. On the walls, wherever an empty space had been, was strange writing. Not understanding the language, he called out to his partner while searching room by room. Each room looked ransacked and had more writing on the walls. Fearful, after 15 minutes with no sign of him, the specialist returned to the tower to bring help. The full investigative force of Baldur's Gate appeared at the Specialist's home within 30 minutes. Scholars examined the writing, clerics checked for the presence of evil, wizards checked for traces of magical influence, and the investigators took meticulous notes in the contents of the home, searching for any other physical clues. Yet despite their best efforts, the clerics found nothing evil in the immediate vicinity, wizards found nothing magical, and there were no physical clues that could be helpful with the state of the house. Only the scholars had success, determining the language to be abyssal, with the same message repeated. If you find me, kill me. With no leads as to his whereabouts, ravens were sent to the closest villages and towns with instructions to contact Bouldersgate immediately should any sighting of the man occur. For 48 hours with no contact, hope amongst his friends and colleagues was low. As most of them knew, at the 72-hour mark, chances were their friend was dead. Having no choice, the commanding officer put everyone back to normal shifts and duties, leaving only the missing man's partner to follow up on leads and research. Feeling useless, the man sat in his friend's house, hoping he would just appear. But hour after hour, nothing happened. Disheartened, he too returned to normal duties, relegating the case to the cold files. On day five, a raven carrying a message from Sobar surprised everyone. A man, fitting his description, was seen around the Boriskir Bridge talking about the disappearance of Tamal Fent, a companion paladin who disappeared without a trace with his entire retinue somewhere near the bridge in 1450 DR. Wizards immediately teleported several investigators, including the commanding officer and the missing man's partner to Sobar, to follow up on the message being such a highly trafficked route, several reports had come in about a crazy man talking gibberish at the bridge's edge. One even painted the man as suicidal. So without hesitation, the group made their way to the bridge, making cursory searches along the way should a path or trail exit to the road. Eventually, they arrived at the bridge, and standing on the edge, walking back and forth without fear, was the missing man. As the group approached, he began screaming in a language unknown to all but one. The scholar they brought with them recognized it as abyssal and translated quickly and quietly to the commanding officer. He’s saying, "Do not come closer or I will infect you." the Lord of corruption returns, one at a time. Kill me, kill me now. Confused, the commanding officer began approaching the man, but was quickly stopped by the rest of the group. Turning, he looked for the man's partner, hoping to have him speak, possibly breaking him out of whatever trance he was in. But as he searched the faces of the group, he heard the unmistakable sound of an arrow loosing from a bow. Watching in slow motion, he saw the arrow strike the man in the heart, pass through, and disappear into the river below. The man looked down at his chest, looked up, and smiled, whispering something no one could hear. And then he crumbled, falling off the bridge into the water below, disappearing into the frothy current. No one is sure what happened to the man. His body was never recovered. Most believe that he went crazy. Some posit that he was sick, possibly under the influence of some disease or a drug. To two other specialists and a deputy from Loudwater, they believe something entirely different. Please join our Discord and share what you know. We even have a channel where you can remain anonymous, protecting your identity. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Pod. Vice and Villainy is a CLDG production. Thanks for listening. This is Corey. You can find me on Twitter at danddiapers underscore.